morning, church. William Hazlitt, a writer of humanistic essays, wrote these words. The soul of a journey is liberty, perfect liberty, to think, feel, and do just as one pleases. Again, I'll read it. The soul of a journey is liberty, perfect liberty, to think, feel, and do just as one pleases. You see, there's a certain attraction we innately have in our human nature toward doing what we want to do when we want to do it. If we are not careful, there's an envy that rises up in us when we see non-Christians living a life where they can do anything they want. Especially in this age of social media and TikTok and shorts. See, this envy is nothing new. God-fearing people have been struggling with this since the fall of man. You listen to the psalmist as he struggles with this idea from Psalm 73. He says, but as for me, my feet have stumbled, or had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant and saw the prosperity of the wicked. Did you notice what the psalmist said there? He almost stumbled at the sight of the wicked prospering. Those outside the faith can seemingly do anything they please with their perfect Liberty, liberty that Hazlitt called it. However, when we become Christians, the narrative changes from a motivation to please self to a motivation to love and serve others. You listen to Paul's words to the church in Rome. He says, We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself. Our Christian walk, as Paul writes it in the second chapter, is to live in a manner worthy of God who calls us to his own kingdom and glory. So it's not just about loving and serving others, it's also about pleasing God. You get that, right? It's not rocket science. That's nothing new that we are to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls us into His own kingdom and glory. We had a baptism last week, and, and baptism, according to Paul in Romans 6, is a representation of dying to self so that you can live for Christ. You die, you're buried into the water, into the grave, and you rise again, and you raise up, and you live a new life that is identified and unified with Christ. And if you're a Christian here this morning, it's what you've committed to do, and in so doing, encouraging others to do it as well. But I have a couple of questions for us to ask ourselves this morning in light of living the Christian life and walking in a manner worthy of God. Here are my questions. Why are Christians... 
known as people who preach the gospel, but don't live it out? Do we take our Christian walk seriously? I think for many non-Christians, if we were to take polls, and there have been many, they would say that the church is full of what? A bunch of hypocrites. People who say they are one thing, identify themselves as one thing, but live in a way that seems contrary to what they say they believe. If Christians are to live differently than those who are not of the faith, why does so much of what we do and how we live look like the rest of the world? Statistically speaking, Christians have a similar divorce rate as non-Christians. They have a similar debt-to-income ratio as non-Christians. And they have similar lifestyles of those who are non-Christians. And so I think the, the final question that I have for us is this, in this interpersonal introspective. Am I living a lifestyle... That is pleasing to God. You should ask yourself that question. Am I living a lifestyle that is pleasing to God? And if you are, I want to remind you of the concern that Paul had for the Thessalonican church in chapter 3, verse 5. So we're in 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians 4 is where we'll be primarily today. But I'm going to back up to 1 Thessalonians 3. Here's the warning that he gives from 1 Thessalonians 3.5. Paul says that he sent Timothy to actually see if they were actually Christians. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith. So I sent Timothy to actually learn about your faith, to see if you were still Christians for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and your labor would be in vain. And so if you're here this morning and you say, yes, I'm living a lifestyle that is pleasing to God, know that at any point in time, that could be derailed. That if we don't guard ourselves, that if we don't live lives that are set apart for God in a way that glorifies and honors Him, that sin can creep in and the tempter can use sin to lead us astray from God and our walk with Him in a manner that is worthy of our calling. So there's a danger here in assuming that we are walking in a way that is pleasing to God or assuming that we're fine, that we're, we're okay, that I'm, I'm with the Lord and therefore I can live how I want to live and I just say that's contrary to all of Scripture. There's a certain way in which we must live. And the way that we must live is to please God more and more. And that's the title of my sermon this morning. My name is J.D. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm so glad that you're with us this morning. I'm going to be reading from 1 Thessalonians 4. If you don't have a Bible of your own, grab one from underneath your seat. Uh, use your phone if you uh, have to, but I recommend just grabbing that uh, Bible up underneath a hard copy. If you don't have a Bible of your own, that's yours. Take it with you. That's our gift to you so that you have a Bible with you in your home that you can read and, uh, and follow along with us here. 
Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things. As we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God who gives His Holy Spirit to you. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers through Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. To aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray. Lord, I pray that you would help us. Help us to understand these Scriptures. Lord, that the words from my mouth would be guided by Your Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that You would prick our hearts, Lord, to live lives that are pleasing to You. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. The main premise where I'm heading this morning is this. That You would please God more and more by pursuing holiness and loving one another well. That you would seek to please God more and more by pursuing holiness and loving one another well. I'm going to give us three ways that I think the text helps us to please God. The first one is this, that we walk in holiness. That we actually walk in holiness. Finally, brothers, we ask and urge, verse 1, in the Lord Jesus, that you, he's talking to Christians. So brothers and sisters, I ask and I urge you in the Lord Jesus that you receive from us how you ought to walk, how you, how you ought to live, how you ought to have these desires to please God. And that's what you're doing, and you, I encourage you to do so more and more. That's what he says. I encourage you to do it even more, all the more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that we would please God more and more and more through the way that we are sanctified, that we are, uh, sanctification means set apart for special use, that you have been cleansed by the blood of Christ, that you would live differently than those who are around you, that you would consider what it means that the will of God is that you be sanctified, that you be going in Christ, 
John, uh, Jesus says this in John 17, that sanctify them by truth. Your word is true. So if you want to know, like, what does it mean to be sanctified and set apart? And how do I do this? And how do I walk in holiness? And how do I please God more and more? You go to his word. Find yourself in the word of truth. Because Jesus says how you are sanctified is through the Holy Spirit guiding you and showing you and revealing Himself through His Word over and over and over again. And if we just take His Word and we bring it together on a Sunday morning and then we go back to our homes and we set the Word back on its shelf and then we grab it again on a Sunday morning and we come back and we hear the preacher preach, you are not being sanctified by the Word in the way that you should be sanctified. I'm not discounting the gathering that we have here this morning. We read the Word. We sing the Word. We pray the Word. We read the Word when we take the Lord's Supper together. It is vital for what we do on a Sunday morning. But for Christians, brothers and sisters, it is vital for your food every day of your life. That is my encouragement to you. If you seek to walk in holiness, and if you seek to please God more and more, that you would continue to be sanctified. And then Paul does something, obviously, as he's heard the report from Timothy, from chapter 3, and as Timothy has returned back to Paul, he gives a report. He gives a report that there's a disruption in their walk in pleasing the Lord. That there's a disruption in their sanctification. There's a disruption in their holiness. And what does he point to as a disruption? Second half of verse 3, that you abstain from sexual immorality. That each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. So what's the problem? The problem here for the church in Thessalonica, the problem here for us today is sexual immorality. If something is to distort and to uh, remove our holiness in this life, one of the ways it can be disrailed is sexual immorality. Is doing what we want to do when we want to do it, especially as it pertains to sexual immorality. So we must abstain from sexual immorality, how? By controlling our own bodies in holiness and honor, the text says. Verse 5, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles. So we're not to live as the others all around us, all the non-Christians are living when it comes to this particular sin. No, actually, we are to be separated. We are to be different. We're not to talk like the other uh, brothers and, or men and women at our workplaces talk. We're not supposed to talk like the other men and women who are non-Christians, who are our neighbors, how they talk and how they meander, and all the ones on Facebook and social media and all the places that we go and we look. That's the whole point of being holy, is to be set apart. And we look at it, we go, man, it's a lot of effort. It's kind of hard, it's too hard. Like having to work really hard to, to, to be set apart for Christ. It means I have to read my Bible. It means I have to be different, act different, say different things, live different. You know what? You're right. You're right. 
but it's necessary. It's necessary for your salvation. Necessary for your sanctification. It's necessary for your justification. You see, sex is intended, just to be clear, to be enjoyed in the sanctity of heterosexual marriage, which God instituted back in Genesis. It's not hard. You want to know where to turn for what it looks like to not be sexually immoral? Go to your Bible. The Bible has a lot to say about what it means to be sexually immoral. It's talked about a lot all throughout the Scriptures. And when God instituted back in Genesis heterosexual matter, He said, what God has joined together, let no man separate with the following command to be fruitful and multiply. That inside of the sexual union, that there would be, inside of the marriage union, there would be sex that would lead to fruitful and multiply and joy and satisfaction and glory of the Lord inside of this. So it is within the confines of marriage that sex is supposed to happen. Just to be clear, I just want to make sure that we know where we're heading here. It's really clear. That we not act in the lust of the Gentile, like the Gentiles, or like those who are around us who don't know God, so all the people that don't know God that are acting and pleasing themselves, and uh, that's not how we are to act. And that we make sure that we don't transgress, verse 6, and wrong his brother in this matter. Brothers and sisters, this passage speaks to us just as much today as it did to the first century church. It speaks to us because we still struggle in so many ways in this area. Statistically speaking, there are very few of you, if any of you in this room, that have not struggled with some sort of sexual morality or lust. And I just want to encourage you today that whatever sexual immorality that you're walking in, the Bible is really clear that you stop what you're doing. That you abstain from this sin. For the teenagers that are in this room, here's what that means for you. For the Christian teenagers. Most of you are sitting somewhere in this area. Over here. So I'll look here. Right at you. Okay. Start setting a foundation today to honor the Lord with your body and walk in purity. Okay? Why? Verse 7 says, For God has not called us for impurity. He has called us to be set apart, to walk in purity. I can tell you that uh, as a teenager, I failed in so many ways in this category. And I pray that you would not fail in that way. That I pray that you would abstain from going down a road that will lead you to impurity. And I, I voiced this to my I got older sons who are now married. I voiced this to them over and over and over again. I did. And by God's grace, they remain pure till marriage. Can be done. Can be done. For the Unmarried Christians in the room, you're scattered all about, so I can't look at you independently. I just want to encourage you to walk in purity. 
to, to walk in a way with your life that pleases God more and more. To abstain from sexual sin that just leads to destruction. For the Christian married in here, do not defile the marriage bed. Do not defile the marriage bed. Listen, uh, our church, over the last few years, sorry, church for the last few years, last 11 years of this church that we've existed. We've had a few really difficult discipline cases that we've had to go through as a church. And as I was recalling them over the last couple of weeks, as I know I was preaching this passage, uh, every one of them that I can remember, I think I remember them all, deal and have dealt with some sort of sexual morality. This is so dear to our church. It is so dear to our context that we as a church must deal with all the time. Most of them have discipline, been, have gone to church discipline because of their explicit disobedience in honoring the Lord with their bodies. For walking not in not in purity, but in impurity. I just want to encourage you, brothers and sisters, that it can happen in a moment. It can happen with a look. It can happen with a touch. It can happen with a conversation. And I just want to encourage you, if you are walking in sin, in this particular sin this morning, I just want to encourage you to stop. You walk in sanctification. That you would live a life that is more and more pleasing to God over time. And I just want to ask you, if you're not walking in holiness right now in this area, would you just stop and repent? Just close your eyes, repent of this sin. Would you make a declaration to the Lord that you will not walk in the lust of the flesh like those who are outside the faith? Will you stop having sex outside the marriage bed? Would you stop watching pornography as a way to gratify the desires of your flesh? Would you stop watching movies that are not honoring and glorifying to the Lord? Because there is a consequence for walking in impurity. Look with me at Verse 7 again. I'm sorry, go back to verse second half of verse 6. So don't transgress and wrong your brother in this brother or sister in this regard, because why the Lord is an avenger. The Lord is about justice in all these things. And we have solemnly warned you. Verse 8 Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God who gives His Holy Spirit to you. So, here's what I know. I know as a pastor 
for the last 20 years that there will be some in this room who will disregard what I say. You will disregard not only what I say, but you will actually disregard the warnings from Scripture. And here is what you will do. You will do what you want to do. And I just want to encourage you not to do that. Because the Lord is an avenger. The Lord is about justice. He is about His glory. And when you and I walk freely in sin, even in the sin of sexual immorality or any other sins you can find in Colossians, that we continue to walk in that sin with unrepentance, then we walk in a way that disregards God, not man. So forget that you sinned against your spouse or you sinned against your husband, I mean your wife or your husband, you sinned against your brother or sister. No, you sinned against the Lord who gives His Holy Spirit to you. There is a way to grieve the Holy Spirit. And it is by walking in continual, unrepentant sin over and over and over again. This is important. This is really important. That we abstain from sexual immorality by walking in holiness. Set apart. Set apart for God's glory, for His special purpose. For it is God who works in you, but to will and to work for His good pleasure. What His Spirit is doing inside of you, working for His Good pleasure. Brothers and sisters, I pray that you would take this seriously. I know it's heavy. It feels heavy to me as I was preparing. But it's real. I know it's real. Because I deal with it all the time. We are in a context here amongst this place where it is rampant in our society. We are called to be different pray that you'll be different by walking in holiness. The second way to please God is to walk in brotherly love. It's kind of a shift. A major shift. He says now concerning, verse 9, concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that is indeed what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do this more and more. Just as he is called and telling us to please God and to walk in a manner worthy of God more and more, he's also telling us to walk in brotherly love more and more. Here's how it works. The more we live like God, the more we love one another. The more we live a life pleasing to God, the more that we love the brothers and sisters that are around us. How does it work? What's the greatest commandment? That you love God and what? Love your neighbor as yourself. So you love God, you love others, and that's how it rolls. So by you abstaining from sin, by you walking in holiness, by you glorifying the Lord, guess what else you're able to do really, really well? To love other people. He says that you, 
You yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. What does this even mean? Well, we know that one of God's attributes is what? Is love, right? Uh, we love because God what? First loved us. First John, right? Uh, earlier in that say, he says God is love. And so we love God because God loved us. You see, Paul was not encouraging them to do something that they didn't already have a good understanding on. So maybe sexual morality, maybe they didn't have a good understanding of that. I could live any way I want to live. I could have sex outside of marriage. I can do whatever I need to do. I can commit adultery in my marriage if my husband or wife is not doing what I want them to do. And I can please the flesh. And he says, nope. He says here about them, they, weren't, they were not doing something that they, that they uh, weren't supposed to be doing. They were actually doing something that God wants them to do. And, and he, Paul encourages them to do. And he was essentially asking them to fan into flame what they had already were doing. And that's what he's encouraging us to do. Something you're good at. Maybe you're gifted in some way. You would fan that into flame that you would be able to use that more and more. In this particular context, he's saying, love your brothers and sisters. Brotherly love more and more by encouraging them, by urging them, by, um, by living in a way that lifts up somebody else. You see, this is something that should not be unnatural for the church. It should be a natural outflow of a changed life. That we would love one another all the more. Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. How do you practice love for your brother and sister? How do you practice love towards your brother and sister? I don't mean your familial brother and sister. I mean your church family brother and sister. How do you display love and encouragement for them? How do you fan this into flame that you are loving your brother and sister more and more? What can you do today to display the love of Christ that those you are sitting around? So We'll talk about what it means to walk properly before outsiders in just a second. But what does it mean to love the brothers and sisters in this room that we're gathered with today. You should ask yourself that question. I realize that we live in a, in a, in a society where there, we've now identified introverts and extroverts. And I realize that from knowing most of you in this room, most of y'all are bent towards the introverted side. And therefore, you are given an excuse it's just in my personality that I, that I just would love to sit in my own home, to read books all day, to watch movies, and not even interact with the outside world. That actually, if I were to present a way for you to go and to live on a compound by yourself with all your really close friends, that would be really attractive to you. Here's the problem. The Bible tells us how to walk in brotherly love. That we would love one another by using our gifts, by loving and bringing in others into, by showing hospitality to one another, by reaching out to others that are around us over and over and over again. And that's how we would exhibit a love from Christ that helps us to walk in brotherly and sisterly love.
So the first way, first way to please God is to walk in holiness. The second way to please God is to walk in brotherly love. And the third way to please God is to walk properly before outsiders. To walk properly before outsiders. Verse 11. To aspire to live quietly. To mind your own affairs. To work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. You are to be a walking testimony to those who are outside the faith. You are to look different. You are to live different. You are to be different. The Thessalonican believers were known for being lazy. They were known for walking in idleness. They had quit their jobs in expectation of Christ's return despite the encouragements of Paul and Timothy and Silas. You see, they were accused of being busybodies instead of busy with work. That's why Paul exhorts them to live quietly, to mind their own affairs, to keep their head down and to work hard. That's what he was saying here. Just keep your head down, work hard with your hands. So that others may see your work and see it as an example for them to follow, not see you as idle, lazy, and busybodies. So just to make this quick, I'll just ask a few probing questions. How do people outside of the faith speak of you? How do they, what do they say about you? How are you known at work, in your neighborhoods, within your friend group? Are you, known as, are you always known as the one who is always trying to get out of work? Are you known as the busybody or gossip and always talking about things you shouldn't be discussing? What would those outside the faith say about you? What would those non-Christians in your workplace or in your neighborhood or in your friend group, what would they say about your conduct? About how you live? One of the qualifications to be an elder in a church is to be well thought of by outsiders. Why do you think that is? Because part of the responsibility is to live exemplary lives. So one of the things that we do is we actually, when we, when we onboard an elder into the process, one of the things that we do is we actually call one of their co-workers, usually. And we will ask them, hey, we see how this guy is at church. We've actually observed in how he is at home. How is he in the workplace? How does he act? How does he live? How does he talk? We have this list of questions that we walk through. Because if one of the qualifications is well thought of by outsiders, then we want to make sure that we speak to an outsider to a non-Christian friend or co-worker that, that knows them really well. And the same is true, though, for all of us, that our character would be this, that we are pleasing God more and more and more with our lives. Maybe you're here this morning and you say, look, Pastor J.D., I get it. I get it. I get we're supposed to please God more and more, but I'm not even a Christian. I'm not even a Christian. Why, why would I have to please God? The truth is, you can't. 
You can't. That in Genesis 3, when, when sin entered the world, your ability to please God became new. Unless God, or but God, did something on your behalf. And for us today, that but God came in the form of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. That Jesus came into this world, He knew no sin, to become sin for us that, that would believe. But Christ came into this world, He lived a perfect, holy life. One that was not pleasing to self, but pleasing to others. One that would give His life as a ransom for many. And live in a way that we could never live. In His perfect obedience, Christ took on the weight of our sin. And He went to a cross and He died a death that we deserved. And in exchange for His blood applied to us as we sang in the song, that for all those in here that claim to be Christians, that claim to be Christians, that claim to be bought and paid for by the blood of Christ, it is because of what Christ has done on the cross. His imputed righteousness has been given to us and our sin was given to Him. That is the great exchange. It is a beautiful picture of what it means to lay down your life. Or lay down a life. To live sacrificially. To, to give of yourself. To live in a way outside of, of, of the pleasures that you want in this world. So what does that mean for us? For those of us that are here that have put our faith and trust in Christ, it means that we walk in a manner that pleases God more and more. What it means for those of you that are here that have not put their faith in Christ, it means that you are suffering. You are going to suffer the wrath and the judgment of Christ. Why? Because Christ, or God, is an avenger. He will demand justice for his sin. Or for sin. The only way that we can satisfy that justice and that wrath is through the blood of Christ that has been given on your behalf. Walk in a way that is pleasing to God more and more and more by walking in the commandments and the commissions and the obedience of Christ. That's how we live. Let's pray. Jesus, help us. May your Spirit guide us, direct us to help us please God more and more by walking in the holiness and, uh, and walking in brotherly love and affection and by living well before outsiders. We cannot do this alone. We cannot do it even in our own power and our own strength, yet you have called us to this through your Spirit. So Spirit, help us. Give us perseverance and endurance. For those here that may say, I, I can't do it on my own, therefore I just won't even try, Lord, would you, would you help them to see the goodness and the beauty of obedience, of walking in a way that pleases God by abstaining from sin. 
Lord, help us to do this. Help us to encourage one another to walk in this way. Help us to be mindful of uh, helping our brothers and sisters see their sin. To call out, to be obedient and to uh, faithful and call out their sin. And then to help them to walk in newness of life. Lord, guide our hearts today that we may glorify and honor you in all these things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As the musicians come, I'm going to be up front uh, here after the service, as I'm sure uh, one of the other elders and pastors will be as well. Uh, We would love to talk to you about this, if this is a sin or if there is a sin that you just have not been able to repent of. I just want to tell you that today is the day for that. If you have not put your faith and trust in Lord Jesus as your Savior, as the Scriptures say, today is the day of salvation. Don't let a day go past without putting your faith in Christ.